everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a business strategist where I help business owners grow and scale to create freedom and choice. And today, I have an awesome guest. He's a three times two comma club winner, TEDx and international speaker, award-winning marketer, number one seminar and webinar room filler, advertiser, funnel builder, and event producer. He specializes in producing events for some of the biggest names in the world, along with funnel creation and social media ads, where he produces, markets, and distributes some of the largest marketing campaigns, lead generation efforts, funnels, events, and seminars in the world, both online and offline. Welcome, Ethan Donati, and thank you for being on my show. Thank you. Hey, Bia. Awesome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be an awesome show for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. For sure, yeah. So, I mean, my journey started off with uh, extreme social anxiety to the point where I couldn't talk to my friends. I had no friends. My family couldn't speak to anyone at the Christmas table, at the dinner table. Uh, I struggled to speak at all, one-on-one or anything. Um, at three years old, I was kicked out of kinder for being too shy. And, you know, I had, I had pain every single day because I couldn't speak to anyone. I'd walk down the street um, with always being anxious about if someone would talk to me or someone would ask me a question because I couldn't respond. I was, I was the most awkward person we've ever, ever met. I, t- I took that and I said, you know what? I cannot get a job because I do not want to be around people. I, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't deal with it. So I worked and worked to build an online business. And that online business was a marketing agency and you know it did well and, and eventually it got to the point where it was it was almost i felt like it was just too easy for me and I, I needed to challenge myself and that's where i said you know what what is the most ridiculous thing i could do or someone like me could do what is my biggest fear and the answer was public speaking you know so i i kind of forced myself to then delve into the speaking world to grow my marketing agency but also just to speak and, and present and I ran with that ever since. And, and now I'm producing some of the biggest events in the world by doing what was once my my biggest weakness. So that's a, a short summary of what my story is. Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, very powerful story to get you to where we are. And a lot of people don't see, you know, the journey there. They just see us as we are now. Um, and I, I love to get into producing events. But first, just quickly, what do you think was key? You mentioned a little bit there of doing your, your, you know, you turn your biggest weakness into your strength, but what do you think was key maybe from a mindset perspective for your transformation from going to the old you there to being like a powerful speaker? Honestly, the mindset transformation was more around realizing what the world is. And what I mean by that is it, it for me, it was mortality. For me, I, I realized mortality and I, and I realized you know, watching my grandfather um, get very, very ill with motor neuron disease and and then Kobe Bryant passing away. The, like I, I was exposed to mortality from a young age, but when that when Kobe Bryant died, it was just like, you know, at some point we're all gonna die. The next after 48 hours after, no one's really gonna care anymore, to be honest. Gonna, life's gonna go on. If that's gonna happen to me, I mean I'm, I'm I may as well do something that's crazy that that's gonna at least make the most of the years that I am here. And just with that, like, that was my mentality, honestly. That was my mentality. It was just, how can I do something with my life that I would be like, you know, that's going to make me feel like I've done something. And, and it was head on, facing everything else head on. That's what that's what it was. It was, it was, it was really that. 
Yeah. Awesome, man. I, I love that focus and everything else there. Really powerful. And now you're obviously, you know, producing uh, events for many big, you know, big names in the world, you know, David Goggins, you know, coming to Australia among many others that you've done. So let's get into some producing events now, some questions around that. So initially, like, how do you plan and organize an event from like, you know, start to finish? <laughs> every event, every event is... You know, they say event organizing is one of the hardest jobs in the world, or one of the most stressful. I I think that it can be, but also if you're well planned, it actually can be very, very uh, can be almost easy. So I like to plan my events out like six months in advance, even even longer if I can. But if six months is 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 enough time to plan everything out. And at the very start, what you do is you have to get the speaker a speaker involved. The first thing you would do is is you find a speaker. The first thing you do is find a speaker. And you would plan all your marketing, all your advertising, all your funnels, the whole structure of the whole day around that one presenter. Now, when you have that in place, the rest kind of comes down to choosing the right venue. So you need to be able to forecast how many tickets or how many people may be in attendance because choosing the wrong venue or the wrong room size can cause a lot of headaches. So for example, if, if we think there'll be a thousand people, but 5,000 end up turning up, well, we've chosen the wrong room and we need to get a bigger room. And sometimes, a lot of the times, the bigger rooms will be already booked. So then dates have to change, thing, it gets messy. So you've really got to be good at forecasting. That, that can be hard to do, especially in this day and age with COVID and restrictions. Who knows what's going to happen, right? So it can be difficult, but that is the, the second thing is getting near the venue. So speaker first, venue next, and then it's marketing, marketing, marketing. I, I know that, um, you know, a lot of the speakers that, that use us uh, and, and have been here before, I've done events before, they have done much smaller events because they didn't market properly. Like no one was marketing them. So the third step is advertising, social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and pushing out a marketing campaign that fills the event. And if you can run that for a good four, five, six months, usually what you'll see is a really steady flow of sales and also a profitability on the ad spend that can eventually cover the cost hob the speaker, hob the event venue hire, and all those things there. So that's the first three things. There are probably like a hundred steps. They're the first three and the most important three. Yeah, nice, mate. Um, yeah, we don't have six hours to go through. <laughs> we don't. But we'll, uh, we'll get to the, the crux of uh, many things here today. So apart from this, let's go a little bit more into the venue, right? So you said, obviously, the number is important of, you know, how many people and there. So what other things are the most important factors should we be thinking about when we're like picking a venue for the event? Uh, no, well, number one is, is, is it easy to get to? So I think this is more of an issue for smaller events. Okay. So for small, like most of us here are going to start with smaller events, like under hundred people, under hundred people. The biggest mistake that most beginners start off with is that they choose a cheaper venue that no, no one has any idea where that is. So if you go to some random building or some random hotel, that's maybe a thousand dollars. When you could have crown towers for three thousand, I would tell you to go to crown towers for three thousand because it's more expensive, but the reflection on your brand is is going to be better, which means more sales, which means it'll make you more money. So that that's the biggest the biggest thing to keep in in consideration is is it easy to get to, and then when you hit, when you hit the bigger events, it it comes down to production. So how big is the stage? What's the lighting like? How's the acoustics in the room? Um, it comes down to more of the production side of things that that is really important there. Yeah, awesome, man. Love it. Um, and you mentioned before around the numbers around the event a little bit. So let's talk a little bit more around that. So how, how do you create a budget and like manage, you know, the costs and the profits for an event? Mm. 
Great question. So I so I live a bit differently. So I don't I don't have a budget in my events. Um, so what I do is before I before I ever agree with a speaker about a fee or a price, I will go back and work out how many tickets would I need to sell to cover the expected costs of he, of his or her fee. And if I think the number is achievable, then I will proceed. So, so I, because I know in my head, like if I pay someone X amount, let's say that's, that's a quarter million dollars, right? For one event. I know the event venue is going to cost probably a hundred, 20 grand on top of that. I know that all the merchandise and, and other small fees that come up and they all come up from everywhere are going to cost another six figures easily. So if I can sell enough tickets to cover half a million dollars per event, I know in that instance, I'm probably going to be, I'm probably going to be okay to at least get to the event and break even at least at the very least. So I work it out most, most by the, what's the fee, what's the estimated cost, but how many tickets must I need to sell to cover that cost? And then I go from there. Yeah. Cool, man. Nice. Um, big numbers or small numbers. It's still the same, right? It's all numbers. Same. Love it. Yeah, awesome. same thing. Um, so, and you know, a lot of things can potentially go wrong in events. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. How do you ensure that it runs smoothly and efficiently like, you know, on the day? Well, some things you can plan for, some things you can't. So in terms of on the day, uh, to be honest, on the day, there's, yes, lots can go wrong, but I'm of the mentality that as long as there's an audience there and as long as I have audio that works, I'm okay. If the slides don't work, that's all right. If, if the checking doesn't work, I'm, like, if everything else screws up, as long as there's an audience there, I'll, I'm going to be okay. So I think I'm one of the speakers that probably have less stress on the day than than most because I'm not too concerned with what if this small thing goes wrong because otherwise I, I wouldn't be able to speak at all. But I think it comes down to having someone solid in your team that can handle the rest of it. So I have someone, Taryn, who's, who's very, very solid at handling the rest of the, of the small things. If something does go wrong, I know that she'll be able to handle it. And that, that gives me lots, lots of confidence as well. I think that's very important is having someone, at least one person, maybe even two, that you can rely on for any of the small things that could go on that they can handle them for you. So that that's what's really important. Yeah, nice. Um, let, let's go a little bit deeper into that because obviously let's say we're doing a smaller event and yeah. um, you know there'll be a registration time beforehand. People are probably waiting outside the room. You know, yeah. There's a bit of atmosphere there and then you let people in. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, you would come on stage, say at some point, but I know maybe from an authority perspective, maybe do you get somebody else to come on stage or if it's your own, maybe you just do the whole thing. Uh, I'm just wondering around, you know, the, the, the positioning and authority element of what you do before to starting, um, the event there as well, yeah. your thoughts around that. Yeah. So if you're the only presenter on the day, then it's going to help you if someone can kind of give you a little bit of a five minute, even just a pep talk or a, or a, you know, a warm up before you go on stage. So it's, it's very, very normal for an event to have a warm up speaker to, to start off the day. So I would get either a client to give you a testimonial before you go on or um, someone in your team to just warm up the audience, get them kind of talking and speaking and responding to the, to the speaker before allowing you to go on the stage. It's going to buy you time. It's going to let more people to come into the event venue have a bigger audience when you start and make sure that everyone sees you from the beginning. So hundred percent. Yes. Get someone that can at least give five minutes, even 10 minutes of stage time um, before you go on. If you have two speakers, then it becomes a bit, bit less important because the second speaker should be 
edified, so to speak. In any in any instance where you have multiple speakers, there's always going to be one that most likely has more of a pull or more of a establishment in in the industry. That person should go second, and the other person goes first. And by going first, you essentially edify the the second speaker. So that that's how I think about it. Yeah, cool, man. Nice, good good points there as well. And um, so, how do you then measure the success of the event? You know, whether it's from a profit perspective or other elements of that, and then potentially even you know getting feedback to know actually was a success for you know from other people in the room as yeah. well. Great question. So, for a smaller event, when there's you know more budget conscious uh startups and stuff like that the success of the event comes down to profitability that that is by far the number one the number one outcome there is if you're spending ten thousand dollars you want to make at least you know 15 back to to show you have a, a successful model now if you can if you can break even at, at the, that first event and you can make some money on the first event i would say it's a successful start so that's the first thing i look for the second thing is understanding where is where is the potential room to improve did you have a certain result because there were less people that turned up was it would the shop rate lower was the sign up rate lower or was it higher like well what are all the variables that come into the event and then you can pick and choose what did go right and what did go wrong if anything and then adjust accordingly um the last part is about feedback so i'll be very very careful if if you're going to ask for feedback from an audience because when you are when you are running an event yes Yes, the audience feedback is important, but also keep in mind that the audience doesn't know the ins and outs of the event or the ins and outs of the strategy. So when you're asking random people for their opinion, their opinion might lead you to a different dimension. It might it might push you off track. So I know for a lot of my clients and, and myself, we don't normally ask for feedback for events. If anything, we'll ask for a pre-event survey to get what they want to learn and stuff before we come to the event, before we speak, so we can tailor the content to to those that are there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great point there. And and especially about the, the pre-thing beforehand, which is important. So, um, and then like, there's obviously a lot of challenges that can pop up. I'm asking certain questions around things, but um, is there any other sort of common challenges that you can think of that we haven't maybe touched on yet that, that potential to pop up and that you know of and how you've overcame them as well? I think for the for the in-person events, the smaller ones, the biggest the biggest challenge could be a, sh a low show up rate, right? So the first event that I ever did was like 15 people in Colorado Springs because it was a snowstorm. So no one can get into the event. Now, events in person cost money because the venue, the AV, it costs you money. So when you have like 10 people, 15 people at the event, that's very hard to make a profit from because you got to think when there's less people there, there's no atmosphere, there's less proof that what you do actually works and there's less proof that you have, you're in demand. So the ability to, like, that's the biggest issue. And and the way to overcome that or the way to, I guess, have a contingency plan to that is honestly just by spending a whole lot more on ads and having a whole lot more registrations. So if we see an event that is struggling with signups, we'll push the organic, we'll, we'll push referral, we'll, we'll try to push everything because the number one issue would be having too few people turn up. Um, for bigger events, so many more things can go wrong, but one of those issues will actually not be shop rate because for a bigger event with a celebrity speaker, you're not going to have a problem getting an audience. The problem is going to come up, logistics, working out speaker schedules, it's going to be everything else. Um, so they're, they're two different 
end of the spectrum there. Yeah, nice. Awesome, man. Um, and just around timing of the event. So, you know, if we're doing, whether it's a half day, a full day event, say on, on something, um, mm. you know, are there certain days that are better and not better, like during the week, weekends, that type of stuff? What, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, it depends on the strategy as well, but, and the, the target audience. So we normally would like to avoid Friday nights and Saturday nights. Um, but other than that, you know, it, we're even seeing weekend events perform a lot better for shop rate. So Saturdays and Sundays are actually getting a higher shop rate, but potential issue is if you're targeting business owners, you're not going to get as many on a weekend. You're going to get more of those during the weekdays. So if you're targeting business owners, weekdays seem to be better. If you're more B2C, you're more, you know, consumer-based business, then the weekends are totally fine um, to go for as well. Yeah, cool. Good to know, uh, depending on the business type. Yeah. And so obviously there's us doing the event and you might have people in your team, but what other yeah. partners do we need you know, to produce a successful event, you know, for example, around the media side of things, you know, photography, videography, like who else do we need to have a great event? Yeah. So you'll need, you'll need a marketing department, advertising, um, as number one, you, you might need a sponsor depending on how much you're spending on the event. You might need to go and, and get a sponsor or, or look for a sponsor. Uh, you may, like it's up to you. you. You might need a photographer, you might need a videographer, but personally, if you're starting out, I would not go spending, a few thousand dollars on a video or photo person because you're too early in the game. You spend those two, three thousand dollars on ads, have a bigger venue, have a bigger room, more, more people to, to offer things to, and then get someone, one of your team, take photos instead. That's a much better outcome when you're starting out than down the track. So, for your first events, I would say all you need is marketing and at least one person to do registration and support you on the day. Yeah, nice. A um, couple of things there. So one, just around sponsors. So, mm. you know, that, that's obviously powerful. What's going to be enticing for a sponsor to be able to, you know, want to invest X amount and what's realistic of sort of get, you know, an, an amount to get them to invest in as well to be part of the event? Yeah, well, sponsors want exposure. They want exposure. They want they want um, brand alignment and they want to have an ROI on the sponsorship deal. So it's obviously harder to get a sponsor when you have a smaller event that's just you when you're starting out because they're not going to know much about that. But you might find a business group or, or, or a business kind of a B2B kind of business that might want to sponsor a small amount of money um, just to have their name on on the logo, on the ads. They might want to hand out a pamphlet during the during the event. They may want just, just media exposure and media. So it's normally going to come down to physical things in person that they give out to the attendants and the social media ads and all the media you guys are doing to get their logo and brand in front of them, in front of the people as well. So it's more placements. When it comes to the bigger events with the celebrities, a lot of the times they will find you from the ads you're putting out. So they'll see, oh, you got this person, we want to, we want to be a sponsor for that event. Um, and they'll, they'll negotiate back and forth with you to kind of find what, what what's going to suit them as well. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's great. And the other part of that you said was, you know, having at least one person to do the, you know, the registration at the start, but obviously mm. if we're, if we're platform speaking, you know, we're selling, um, you know, our, our products and services there, uh, yeah. we obviously need people to take the payments and that side of things as yeah. well. So if we're, I don't know, if we've got a hundred people or, or more, um, you know, how, how many people do you think one's enough for that? Or do we need more, yeah. you know, for that element too? Well, it depends if you're doing a table rush close, if you're selling um, in a way that is, Go to the back of the room and sign up, 
um, now, then you're going to have, you might need three or four of those people to help you convert sales because you might have 10, 12 people rushing to the back of the room and trying to buy it once, right? Now, if you're doing it in a way where it's more of a consultation close, one-on-one after the event, then you just need one person. So when I started out, I had one person who would, I would we'd do a consultation close. Hey, if you're interested, put your name on the list. We'll have a one-on-one conversation with you. And in that conversation, that one person would then collect payment in that conversation. So you just need one person for that. Otherwise, two or three for a table rush close is, is pretty normal. Yeah, cool. Nice. Um, important that we've got the team behind us that can help us do all of that too. So um, now let's talk a bit more on the software and system side of things, because there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff in the background, not just from the marketing side, we you know, which is its own beast, but just generally about the event production, you know, with ticketing and all, all this type of stuff, right? And registration. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what, what do you think are some key software and systems we need to be thinking about or you use to um, produce a successful event as well? Yeah, well, the first thing is, uh, you need the funnel, the landing page. So we normally make them in click funnels. That would build the landing page for the event. So that'd be the number one click funnels. Then you will need an email system to send out emails to the people that are signed up. So we use ConvertKit. You can use ActiveCampaign. Um, that's a good one as well. You can use a range of softwares for that, but they're the best too. And then you will need number three. You're going to need it to use text marketing. So we use what's called Burst SMS, which goes out, um, you know, to everyone at once with it with a text to remind them and then finally you're going to need something to collect payments so i recommend stripe stripe's the best for for payments now you you may want to also get a merchant terminal to collect money on the day um so they're not hard to get from your bank you know uh but you get some of those to collect payment as well and you can choose do i use stripe do i use this it's up to you on the day um, but that's that's the most important software that you guys will need nice and just around the merchant terminal should we is one unit enough? Like if you've got three or four people or should we have three or four, uh, you know, for each of them, if we're doing it that way? For a 100 person event, I normally bring two or three, two or yeah. three. Yeah. So we need multiples of them. Okay, cool. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, you want to make sure people can, can pay straight away without any delay, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice man. Awesome. Um, and is there anything on the back end in terms of, you know, registering, the the guests so like you know obviously it would go into the the you know the active campaign or convert kit system um yeah. in that element but like ticking people off that they attended and things like that is yeah. there anything around that as well yeah so we normally for a smaller event we'd have a, a google sheet and our team would be logged in marking them off as they come into the event so that's for a smaller event it's easy to do like you come to the table say your name we sign you off on the excel spreadsheet for a bigger event obviously that's going to be um quite labor intensive so that's when you might want to use ticketing software to scan the qr codes so eventbrite for example if you do all your sales from eventbrite there's a qr code you can scan it uh you can use other things like um ticket generator where you can send out all the tickets out they have a qr code and you scan them on your phone as people come in um, and there are others like you can use cvent is a professional service that does this uh, and, and and they can you can use their software to kind of do registration and obviously if they're if bigger events you can use ticket tech as well so there's options there uh it just depends on the scale yeah nice um so you know we've got those elements now you mentioned about like before about the sponsors of having potentially something in the room but just say we don't have a sponsor but yeah. we, do we want to be giving things to people because 
Um, you know, is there, do we give them a pad and pen or not? If we're doing like, let's just say a smaller event for now, if it's, you know, if it's a hundred people or something in the room, um, yeah. you know, I know that there's, you know, you might have a, you know, a free option and a VIP option, maybe, you know, you know, you give you, if you have a book or you've got some other type of merchandise or something like that. So is there other items that we should be bringing and giving to people in the room as well? Yes. If it's a free event, you want to really minimize your costs. So yeah, so the, the event venue, the hotel, usually will give you pads and pens for free and then the attendants can go get them themselves and it's no cost, that's fine. I think the the line is a bit murky. Um, if if you start printing off and, and getting bulk things printed for a free event, you are gonna you are gonna incur a few more costs than what you probably want to the first few times. So I would keep it simple for the free events, have the have the hotels provide it. Um if anything, provide you could provide a workbook to your your um, VIPs if there are any, but I think keep it simple for the free event and give give people the the booklets at the paid event um, once they're already invested with you is the better way to do it. Yeah, cool, nice, awesome. Um, so if we're like now speaking, let's say on stages of other people's events, right? We're speaking and we're getting into other people's events. What should we be we be thinking about that you know compared to just doing our own events? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So other people's events are a great way to test your own offer and test how, how you present on a mass scale. What I would keep an eye on for though, is you got to remember that promoters are going to take a large percentage of your sales. They're going to cover the cost of all the event and the events cost a lot of money. So at least expect to give up 50% of the tick of the sales of your, of your offer. Right? So the first thing is at 50% down, do your margins still stack up? And if they don't, how can you increase the offer's price and value to sell it at a higher price and have those margins come into play that are going to be helpful for you? That's the first thing. And that's the most important thing because the promoters will choose you based on how well you close and what price point you can close at. So that's the most important part of it is that. Yeah, awesome, man. Love it. And if we're then... Like we, let's say we're we're starting off. We, we've grown up. We're doing some own, you know, great events in our own city. Let's yeah. say around Australia, we want to do like a multi-city event, right? We want to go to you know four cities or whatever it is um, around the country. Mm. That, that adds extra complexity with you know with flights and other things like that. What else should we be thinking about just to make sure that you know we don't have issues with you know doing the other cities in that um, tour? Yeah. So scheduling is really important. Yeah. So. How I would do it is you want to do at least four cities, so Brisbane, Gold Coast, uh, Melbourne, and Sydney. And you would do Brisbane, Gold Coast on back-to-back -back days. Then you would fly probably to Sydney for once. So you can do them the night flight or um, the next day, day, day off in the middle, day off in the middle, fly to Sydney, it's one hour. And then do the Sydney event, night flight one hour to Melbourne for the next day of the Melbourne event. That usually works very, very well. Uh, but it also can be very taxing to do four back-to-back -back events over five days. So it comes down to preference. Like some speakers will do one event, three days off, one event, three days off. Comes down to what you want to do. We, I, I would say, you know, if you can do them sooner rather than later, it's going to help you. Um, but yeah, just, just look at the flights first, the hotel venues, have them all aligned first. That's why you've got to plan out like at least two, three months in advance to make sure there's availability at the different cities that you want to go to. Yeah, yeah, planning is definitely important. Awesome stuff, mate. Um, and after the event's finished, yeah. right? You know, we we've got obviously people, you know, uh, investing in us or whatever it is, and, and it's you know, let's say it's successful. What else should we be doing after the event? 
what tasks to make sure that we we get the best outcome uh, you know going forward mm. so post event you can do a few things the first thing is there even though some most people haven't haven't bought from you yet there will be some people on the fence so you can do two things first thing is you can do a post event webinar online and that's going to allow you to sell a few more on the fence sitters that were kind of wondering you know do a q a there handle their objections on a webinar super easy so i would do that like the first week or two after the event you can also have like a commission-based sales person or people that can do phone sales for those that attended and again you will find a few more sales from that way as well uh for the clients that do buy from you now it comes down to your post event, like your your purchase onboarding system. Like how do you onboard them? So what emails do you send out? Do you call them? Like what is the onboarding process for the new clients? If you're selling in the, like a three-day event, now you've got to prepare for that venue. You've got to prepare for the, the booklets, um, all the merchandise for the three-day event that you're selling. What goes into that now? So you've got to plan the next step for those that have bought from you so there's there's two ways to look at it you know uh, replays for those that haven't bought onboarding for those that have yeah awesome love it and let's say someone's creating a new event now um and they want to test it a little bit maybe they want to test it like online first or a virtual setting just to make sure that you know the content's good or something like that compared to uh, an in-person event what do you think the strategy is like can they do them at the same time or is it good to split them up to not do them at the same time if they're really wanting to to grow that next level as well yeah it come, comes down to uh comes down to like their, their confidence level too on an online event on webinar you won't sell as well as you would in person because there's just not enough trust on online i think it's a good way to practice when you're starting in a low budget um, and you, you just want to kind of test your skills first. I think it's absolutely perfect for that, but you can do it live. Do a, do a live webinar to practice. Yes. But, uh, you, you can do webinars and in-person events at the same time, but I would maybe say to test, you know, different cities. Like if I'm doing a Melbourne event now in person, then I might do a Sydney online event the next day. So I might, I might just split it up to not compete with myself uh, as well. Uh, but I think there's definitely there's definitely merit in doing both if you want to if you want to kind of just go all out and practice everything immediately, then there's definitely merit in it. But don't don't feel bad if you sell not as well in a webinar. Like don't don't give up if your webinar doesn't sell. Um, and the and the same thing is if you do sell well in a webinar, don't think the results will be replicated the same in person. Like always be able to adjust and and keep your mentality open like that yeah awesome mate love that um powerful stuff around event producing and it's a little bit about speaking more now public speaking which goes hand in hand um with you know doing the events especially if they're your, your own and i know there's there's different types of speakers right we've got keynote speakers and, and platform speakers you want to explain a bit more about the differences and the benefits of them as well yeah so a keynote speaker is what most people think of when they see a speaker right so as a keynote speaker will go on a stage like a TED talk, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour or an hour to give a talk and, and, you know, either teach something or inspire someone in their talk. A platform speaker is going on the stage to sell a service or a product. The difference is to, for a keynote speaker to charge high amounts of money and get paid what they're worth, they need to have a profile. For a platform speaker, no one needs to know who you are to earn what you're worth. So the best platform speakers in the world 
can earn seven figures in two hours. Russell Brunson did three million US dollars in ninety minutes, the highest generating speech ever. I'm pretty sure. Um, a keynote speaker, you can really only you know charge six figures or more if you're a well-known celebrity, which you know when we're starting, it's not going to be really any of us at all. So I always recommend people to go to the platform speaking side of things and have keynote speaking as a bonus or as like a, you know a nice thing to do occasionally but your majority of speaking should be in the platform speaking world. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. And um, let's say people want to be, you know, doing more speaking and, and getting into that. What tips can you give us to be a great public speaker as well? Yeah, it's a good question. What tips for, to be a great public speaker. So to be a great public speaker, you need to understand that you are not giving a monologue. Okay. So it's not, it's not a university lecture. Uh, I think most speakers do really, really poorly when they think they just go on a stage, speak, 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 and never engage with the audience. And you'll see this all the time. If you go to an event where there's like a celebrity and there are random platform speakers, the best platform speaker or some of the better ones in that event, they will actually be a better presenter and people will enjoy their talk more than some of the celebrity speakers. Because a lot of the celebrity speakers, they don't engage. They 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 kind of are un, untouchable. They don't go into the audience. They don't They don't walk with the people. They just kind of stay on the stage. They just present and that's it. One that one speaker that is very, very good at, at engaging is Gary Vee. And why is Gary Vee so good? Is because he does Q&A the whole time. So the Q&A, why everyone loves that is because it's like, it's direct interaction. But the speakers that don't have that interaction are, are falling on, on deaf ears. So to be a great speaker, you need to stop thinking about projection and tonality yes those things are important but the most important thing is engaging and asking questions with the audience to get them talking back to you as well and then the whole day becomes a lot easier so that's my that's my main tip for to be a great speaker is how do you engage the audience yeah awesome man love that uh, getting into it there and um so let, let's talk a little bit more around the marketing side of things now we've, we've touched on some areas there but what mistakes do you see people doing when they're trying to market and fuel their events themselves? Mm. So the mistakes, there's, there's plenty of mistakes in marketing, but I think um, the biggest one is probably number one, not thinking your ads are working when you barely started. So for example, I think people, people are very emotional when it comes to money. So especially their own money. When you, when you spend $1,000 and you get like 10 registrations, it's easy to give up because it's quite expensive. But the best campaigns will evolve over time and will require you to almost navigate the expenses of marketing unemotionally. And that's that's very, very difficult to do when, you, when you're starting out. And I understand that. But I think, I think where I was, where I was um, good for when I started was I was able to separate my emotions from the financial risk that I was taking. And that allowed me to test more things and spend more money and get through the results quicker because there were so many different angles I was trying trying to make work. I think the second thing is falling in love with the brand kit. Okay, now when you're doing a free event, when no one knows who you are, having your logo front and center and, and taking up the whole page with your logo is going to hurt you. It's not going to convert. So no one wants to see your logo all over the place because that's not going to tell them what result they're going to achieve. Marketing must start off with what is the result of attending this event that I'm going to achieve. 
And that's what the headline needs to be. That's what the, the ad, the image, the copywriting needs to revolve around is what am I going to learn? What are the outcomes? Um, what are the deliverables? And then it comes down to frequency. You can't expect someone to see your ad once and sign up straight away. If you watch a TV ad, you're not going to go and buy the first time you see the ad. It's going to be five, six, seven, eight times before you even make an action towards what the ad is telling you to do. So frequency of, of the customer seeing the ad is also important. Most people think that they're trying, they're, they're spamming. If I keep sending my ads out, people are going to get annoyed. I promise you they're not because you know why? There are so many different ads that chances are they don't even remember yours. They don't even remember your ad. So I think it's almost people think of themselves on an elevated plane of, I, you know, my ads are so important and my, and my events so important and, and I'm so important. When in reality, no one knows who you are yet. So thinking like that's only going to hurt you. Right? And if you think of yourself as more like, I'm just starting out, I've got a scrap and I've got a hustle to make this work. You're not going to get it. You're not going to care how many times you see the ad. You're going to make, you're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And that's, that's the key as well. Yeah. Awesome, man. That powerful mindset behind that. And um, so if we talk funnels generally now, because I know obviously there's there's a funnel to do events, but there's a lot of other funnels that we can do generally to market our business. Did you want to just talk about a few of the different types of funnels that we can use to market and grow our business as well? Yeah. So it just depends on the outcome of the business. Like what's the goal? And so you can do yeah, webinars, seminars are my favorite kind of funnel. You can do evergreen application funnels, which means you know, you have a high ticket service and you're really good at selling it on a one-to-one -one call. Well, the seminar is not going to really work. So you can have a survey or an application, disqualify people, qualify people, have them booking a call with you, and then you sell them via a one-on-one -on -one sales call. That's it. And on top, you can do e-commerce funnels. So e-commerce funnels for those selling physical products. Um, if your store on Shopify or WooCommerce isn't converting as well, you can move some of the products or one or two of the products to an e-commerce style of funnel to sell more. Uh, book funnels for authors. Many, many authors out there. You can you can sell your books through a book funnel, keeping in mind that you won't make money on the books. It's going to be in the back end uh, as an upsell, cross-sell, or downsell after someone buys the book on the funnel in the first place. So there's an author funnel. There's survey funnels, which are great for lead gen. So if you want a high volume of leads, a survey, find like five or six questions, like a personality survey or a what type of, you know, whatever are you, they do the survey, they, do, they get the answer, you get the leads, you can remarket to them um, in the future with different offers and different events. So event uh, funnels can be used for evergreen, which is really important, which means they're always on. So if I'm running ads right now to an evergreen funnel, I'm getting leads all the time, all the time, all the time, which means when you want to do an event or whatever else, you just invite them because you have an email list now, a database of people that like what you do and invite them to that event for the next campaign. Awesome. So it's good to have a um, webinar seminar funnels when we're doing the events, but at the same time, maybe all the time, potentially we have something else that's more evergreen that's getting people's details to then whether it's go through a different sales process or then get in, into the event at the same time. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Good to know. Um, yeah, it's been, been I love all this stuff, very, very powerful stuff here today. And, you know, coaching mentoring has been very big for me um, over the, the, you know, the last many years that I've been doing it and invested, you know, a lot into myself um, and it's helped me get to where I am today. I'd love to hear it from your perspective um, of how, you know, coaching mentoring has been for you and it helped you get to where you are as well. Yeah. I think it's it's one of those areas where you're going to be very, very careful. Um, 
you know, nowadays we see a lot of coaches and mentors that yeah, probably not qualified to be coaches and mentors, unfortunately. And and I see a lot of um, this kind of stuff happening right now where, where coaches are kind of selling, they, they, they're a coach, but what they do is they sell how to become a coach. So they're, they, that's all they do. You know, you go to business coaches that sometimes don't have any business other than selling business coaching. So I think choosing the right coach is a very, very important, is a very, very important first step. And for myself, when I started out from zero, I needed someone that believed in me because I was a wreck. I, I had no belief in anything at all. And so my first ever coaches, a few of them were were really, really the right pick for me at that time because I had, I needed that. I, need, I needed someone that would be a soundboard, be someone that would believe in myself more than I believed in myself. And so I, I think coaching and mentoring at the beginning of my journey was was vital, was absolutely important um, and a very, very important first step to take. <clears throat> and then I think, you should find the coach that is already doing what you want to do. You should find the the person to look up to that's already doing what you want to do, um, and and you choose them. But you choose them because of what they what they've done, not what they're saying they can do. So, for example, if you want to be a speaker, you would learn from someone that you value as a speaker. You wouldn't learn from someone that's never spoken before, but saying they can make you a speaker, right? So, that's very very important. And um, in in the event industry, for myself, when I wanted to produce events there really aren't many producers that that out there that have done the scale that I wanted to do. So there wasn't really a coach for that, but there was in the marketing space and it was in the speaker space and it wasn't every other space. So I went for those people um, along the way. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Love it. And definitely uh, from where you were to where you are, big change, which is awesome as well. And um, yeah, it's been a very, very powerful episode today. And um, just, you know, as we're wrapping up, what one key piece of advice would you like to give to all the entrepreneurs watching and listening today? One key piece of advice is stop thinking, stop overthinking. I think, you know, I, I've seen so many, I've, I've seen so many people come through the events or, or, or outdoors and they always say the same things. You know, I'm not ready yet. I don't know if I should do this yet. There's so many, there's so much self doubt and so much fear. And my number one piece of advice is get over, get like, honestly, get over the fear. Like, you're not, it's not going to go away. You're always going to have fear at some point. You get to next level, you're going to be different fears. Next level, different fears, different way. What, what if this happens? What if that? It's always going to be there at some capacity. You have to turn off that thinking brain and just trust someone else. If you can't trust yourself, trust someone else to help you push you through that barrier. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't believe how many people come and say, oh, I, I don't know about this. My logo is this color. No one cares. The website, not ready yet. It's always, I'm not ready yet. It's always, I'm not ready yet. And, and it's the same for years, years and years and never ready. So make yourself ready before you're ready and get out of your own head, get out of your own way. Just take action on something that you want to do and, and ignore the rest of it. Make it work. You can make it work if you try it. If you try to make it work, you can. And that's my honest belief. Yeah, love that. That was very powerful, guys. Completely agree with that, definitely. And um, yeah, we connected through our networks for, you know, learned about your awesome journey from, you know, focusing on neuromarketing, you know, statistics even, to speaking and producing events now. And, you know, you're an awesome guy and I'm sure you continue to help uh, people and businesses to showcase their unique talents and succeed. And I'm very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you. So, Ethan, how can people find you getting in contact with you? Yeah, the best way is my website, ethandenardi.com. So, or, or Instagram, Ethan.Donati, D-O-N-A-T-I, um, is the best way to do that. 
Awesome, guys. Definitely check out Ethan. He can tell he knows his stuff um, in this space that we've been delving deep in today. And and thank you to everyone for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. And please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. Visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. And if you want to grow and scale your business, you can reach out to me on any platform to see if we're a good fit. And I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way we know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results.